Matthew 12, verses 1 through 14. Once again, God's holy word, the grass withers and the flowers will fade. The word of the Lord endures forever. Matthew 12, verse 1. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry, and they began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. He said to them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry and those who were with him? How he entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence, which it was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests? Or have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. And if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. He went on from there and entered their synagogue. And a man was there with a withered hand. And they asked him, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? So that they might accuse him. He said to them, Which one of you who has a sheep, if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out? Of how much more value is a man than a sheep? So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. And the man stretched it out, and it was restored, healthy like the other. But the Pharisees went out and conspired against him how to destroy him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us go to our God in prayer. And something that I wanted to mention in the pastoral prayer, but I forgot. I want to lift up one of our missionary families, the Cappers. Their move to Utah is on delay right now, and so we want to pray the Lord be with them. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, we come before your word now, ask that you would grant us every grace that is needed uh, for you to teach us, to form us into the likeness of your Son, Jesus Christ. Continue uh, to do that work in us, which we know you are faithful to do. And we do pray, O Lord, for our missionary family, the Cappers, that you would be with them and that you would uh, make the path clear to them as they set out to Utah, that you would uh, clear up logistical matters and that they would be assured each and every moment of today and every day uh, that you indeed are in control. We do thank you for Uh, the the chance we've had to hear of their upcoming work, and we pray that you would bless it and bless the work of the gospel that they are setting out to do in Utah. And, oh, Father, we pray uh, that you would grant that work uh, success, success as you see it, and that you would build your church uh, through through that uh, coming mission work, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Beloved people of God, Does your understanding of God's law and of the rules which tend to issue forth from his commands and his law bring you to a greater trust and rest in and confidence in Jesus Christ? 
The way that you understand the law of God, the way that you seek to live in submission to it, does it bring you to a greater love of Christ and a greater trust in Christ, devotion to him and and confidence in him? That's really the question that is before us today with this text. Imagine that you're at a swimming pool and every few hours the pool is completely cleared out for inspection. You see this happen from time to time. And imagine there's an overzealous lifeguard who uh, wants to interpret the, the rule so strictly, that rule of there's no one allowed in the pool for any reason at any time when it's being inspected. And you can imagine how there would be situations where this breaks down. There, there has to be times where uh, that is not so closely followed. So a young child stumbles and falls into the pool. Uh, no one's going to expect that the parents of this child are going to pay any heed to the overzealous lifeguard as he's yelling, screaming at them to stay out of the pool. They're going to go in and they're going to save and rescue the young child. See, the, the rule was meant for safety, to keep people safe. But when strict adherence to the rule forfeits safety, something else enters the picture, and and that is wisdom. What is the Sabbath made for? The Sabbath is made not only for us to to rest in the glory of what God has done for us in Jesus Christ, but also, as Jesus tells us, to show mercy. The Sabbath is made first that we would know mercy, And then that we would show mercy. The Pharisees, in not paying heed to the wisdom of God and not coming to the fount of wisdom, which is Jesus Christ, or the wisdom, the the pinnacle of God's wisdom is a person, and it's Jesus Christ. Because of all this, they're blind to the Savior. They're blind to the Savior, thus they do not know mercy, thus they do not show mercy. Our central theme this morning is this. If we approach the Sabbath or anything in life as the Pharisees do, we miss the point, we miss the heart of the matter, and we miss the heart of life. But if we first rest in Christ by true faith, we will find true rest and joy as we first know mercy and show mercy. The question is, do we see the law of God Do we see the life that God has for us? Do we understand that it is to lead us to the feet of Jesus? As we confessed in our faith, our affirmation of faith this morning in Ephesians 1, God has united all things in heaven and on earth in Christ. So are all of these things leading us to him? First main idea is this, living wrongly by rules. Living wrongly by rules. Then second, living wisely in Christ. And third, living freely for others. First, living wrongly by rules. The beginning of this passage, we see that uh, Jesus teaching us that those who think they can reduce religion to a code of rules have misunderstood what it means to know God and serve him with a living faith. Of course, the Pharisees... Uh, are going to be front and center for this episode and this lesson that they will teach us. They often are plagued by this very mindset that life before God is a set of rules, a a do list and a a don't list. 
They are uh, supremely occupied with what is considered lawful. You see that word show up in our passage several times, verses 2, 4, 10, and 12. Their preoccupation with lawfulness causes them to miss the point of God's law, not only in the way that they conceive of it in their hearts, but also they miss the point of God's law who is standing right in front of them, Jesus Christ, the one to which all the law of God points. Now, the, the, the title for the sermon is Evil Rule Followers. What we're not saying is that rules are bad. Rules are not bad. Rules, we need rules, and, and we, we benefit from them, and following rules is, is not evil. The Pharisees, however, are evil rule followers because they use and abuse rules for the wrong reason, and thus they are evil. They're trying to deal with a command of God and, and, and want to remember that distinction between rules and commands, that this is a, a way to try to, to honor the fourth commandment of God, that which has been scribed by his own hand. And uh, they often develop this system of, of man-made tradition, man-made rules trying to apply it. The Pharisees are watching Jesus and his disciples trying to find something for which they can criticize Jesus and the disciples. So they find that this Sabbath rule, this Sabbath regulation has been broken. They are picking grain on on the Sabbath as they are walking through the fields. The Pharisees are pointing out that harvesting was on this list of of no-nos. It was on the the don't-do list of Sabbath regulations. There were about 40 categories of work based on their tradition uh, of that day that you could not engage in if, uh, if you wanted to properly, as they saw it, honor and obey the Sabbath. So they believe they have caught the disciples in the act here. They're, they're going to, to get Jesus and his followers for doing this. Note, however, this is an extra-biblical standard. This is not something that you would find in the Old Testament. It doesn't come from Scripture. Also, you can, we can see right from the beginning that they're being unreasonable. They're being overly scrupulous. To say that this is harvesting, which is that's the, the category they're invoking. Oh yeah, we know that harvesting, you can't do that on the Sabbath. So that's what they're doing by rubbing this grain between their hands. They're being unreasonable. To call this harvesting would be like watching someone heading home after church. And they're walking into their house, and some of us, you know, we won't make, we won't have a, a show of hands or anything, but some of us may have dandelions in our lawn at this time of the year. So someone's walking up into their house after church, they see a dandelion, they bend down and they, they pick it up. And you're following this person home, making sure they don't break the Sabbath. You say, oh, that's gardening. You're gardening on the Sabbath. That's kind of like what's going on here with the Pharisees. They're being overly scrupulous. They're being unreasonable. According to Scripture, they're, they're not breaking the Sabbath. What, what is the, the principle of Sabbath rest in Scripture? What well, is resting from what occupies your other days of the week? Resting from your daily vocation, intentionally setting aside time to rest from that so that you may focus on worship, so that you may focus on the God who made you and has saved you in Jesus Christ. What occupies your daily life? The Sabbath principle is pulling back from that to focus on uh, God and his word and his worship. 
So the disciples are not breaking the Sabbath in that sense. This is not what they did the other days of the week. They're not farmers. And thus, again, we find that the problem here lies with the Pharisees. So Jesus could say, well, well hold on here. If, if we really take stock of Scripture, you find that the Sabbath is really this. So uh, your, your, your understanding is, is skewed. It's off. And he doesn't go to uh, exegete the doctrine of the Sabbath for them. Rather, he wants to go at their hearts because that's the problem. The problem is the heart of the Pharisees, a legalistic heart, an overly critical heart as they're watching Jesus and his followers looking for something to criticize. Jesus then goes at their heart and he teaches them this lesson that reducing everything to rules simply does not work. Reducing your life before God to a code of rules does not work. And he uses the example of David in 1 Samuel 21, the example that we read. Very interesting for so many reasons. David is not on a mission from Saul, so he's, he, he doesn't convey the truth to the priest there. And the priest bends the rules. He essentially is merciful on David and his men. So he bends the rules, but he, you even see he wants to uphold some sense of, of decency and decorum. So he asks David about the, the sexual habits of David's men. How this basically works is that every Sabbath, which tells us that this probably actually did take place on a Sabbath in 1 Samuel 21, every Sabbath the bread of the presence was changed out. And when the old bread is taken off, the bread of the presence, only one group of people can eat that, and that, of course, was the priests. It was to be eaten by no one else. That's another, uh, that shows us something else of new covenant blessedness, because when we have leftover communion bread, Hank can take it and make bread pudding, and then he brings it to men's Bible study. So there you go. The new covenant expansiveness of God's blessing, right? But this was to be eaten only by the priests. But here, David and his men are allowed to eat it. They're they're hungry. They're probably faint with hunger, famished. The priest is merciful to them. And what Jesus is pointing out is that as far as Scripture is concerned, they are not condemned for doing this. Not the priest, not David, nor uh, his men. Another parallel from that account to what Jesus teaches us here is that you have the priest being merciful towards people who are hungry. And Jesus' followers, his disciples, are hungry. And that's why they eat in the way that they do. And if the Pharisees could have been merciful, they would not have fallen into this trap. The priests are another uh, interesting example uh, that Jesus uses. The priests, he say, desecrate the Sabbath and yet are guiltless. Why is that? Well, because if the Sabbath is about resting from what you do on the other days of the week, the priests are not doing that. They're actually engaging more deeply in the work that they do every day of the week. This puts your pastor in a little bit of a bind, doesn't it? If I may speak freely, Sundays do not, for me, feel particularly like I'm resting from what I'm doing on the other days of the week. And so Jesus raises this and says, well, priests have all kinds of Sabbath duties. In fact, more Sabbath duties that they have to fulfill. And are they breaking the Sabbath? Are are the Old Testament priests, are New Covenant pastors, are they the Sabbath breakers par excellence? 
Jesus says, well, no, that is obviously absurd. It's absurd, and yet the Pharisees would not be able to answer it with their approach to rules and this, the Lord's Day. So what is Jesus doing here? He's revealing this reality of the complexity of life. To reduce the Pharisees' position to an absurdity and to tell them there is something more fundamental than rules and the problem lies in your heart. It wouldn't do me any good to, to further explain to you what the Sabbath is all about. I want to go and assess your heart. You can take the Sabbath as a very good example, a very good test case. We rejoice in the doctrine of the Christian Sabbath and that as Christ has been raised from the dead, that last Saturday Sabbath was as he lay there in the tomb and the first Sunday Sabbath was, it butted right up against that Saturday that now we celebrate uh, the life that Christ has given to us, the resurrection life, and that day is the Lord's day. And that Sabbath principle of one and six continues until the end of the world. We rejoice in it. But if we reduce it to a code of rules, we see how very easily we can become entrapped uh, in sin. Well, I'm not going to engage in commerce, and I may hide away in my house, but I'm going to engage in other things, gluttony, drunkenness, laziness, slothfulness. See, you can say, well, I'm checking off all of the boxes on the don't list. I'm I'm making sure I'm not doing all of these things. But what are we engaging in otherwise? Or, perhaps more insidious, I uh, take a strict view of the Sabbath, and in my heart I'm filled with bitterness, envy, wrath, malice towards those who see the day differently than I do. You see, following it, reducing it to a code of rules simply does not work. The call here is a call to wisdom. That's what Jesus is doing. There's a, there's a general call to wisdom. Wisdom is seeing how God's uh, picture of the world, how God's order fits together. Wisdom is like uh, the, the rules, the codes are, are like bricks in a building. Wisdom is understanding how They fit together. So there's a a general call to wisdom. Jesus teaches us that lesson. He teaches the Pharisees that lesson. That's kind of the the surface level lesson that Jesus is giving to us. You can't just reduce life to a set of rules. But there's a deeper wisdom. There's a, a more specific wisdom. And the specific wisdom that Jesus is giving to them and that he's giving to us is that all of these things that God gives to us are to bring us to the feet of Christ. They are to bring us to him and they are to cause us to increase in love, in faith, and devotion to him. So are all of those things doing that for us. The way that we view the scriptures, the way that we view God's law and his moral law, the way that we use and perhaps form rules of our lives that are an attempt to honor what God has commanded us to do, are all of these things working in their best ideal way, working to bring us to the feet of Jesus. For he is the fount of wisdom. So second idea, living wisely in Christ. Jesus goes on to show us that there is a, what, what uh, scholar Don Carson calls a hierarchy of values. He speaks of David. He says that he is greater than the temple. And he says that he is Lord of 
the Sabbath? Why were the men of David able to eat the bread of the presence? Because of the importance of the work of David as God's anointed. That's why the priest had mercy. Because of what David was doing as God's man. The man after God's own heart. The priests are deemed to be guiltless, even though, as Jesus says, they desecrate the Sabbath. Rather strong word there. Deemed to be guiltless, even though they work on the Sabbath. Why? Because of the purpose that they serve. A pastor ought to be able to collapse into his bed Sunday night, hopefully exhausted, with a good sense that if he has been faithful to his calling, He has done something good and pure for the people of God. The priests were deemed guiltless because they were serving the temple. Jesus says something greater than the temple is here. In other words, how dare you condemn my followers because they are serving me. They are following me. That's the problem with the Pharisees is that they want to condemn Jesus. That they want to They literally want to kill Jesus. So that's the way that we begin to evaluate ourselves and our lives is when it comes down to it, are we genuinely and sincerely following and serving Christ? That that, that will allow a lot of the questions that we have, the complex questions of life, will allow them to be sorted out on their own. And there are complicated questions in life. The Pharisees, they wouldn't have been able to to say whether or not Rahab was wrong for not conveying the truth when she hid the spies. There are all kinds of of complex questions that a, a deep study and a deep seeking after wisdom only can answer. The Pharisees would not be able to do that. But for us, fundamentally, are we serving Christ? Are we loving him more? Are we following him If Jesus is as important as David, that's the implication of the the passage here. Certainly he's he's greater than David, but he doesn't explicitly say it here. So if he's at least as important as David, and he is, if he's greater than the temple, if he is Lord of the Sabbath, then all of these things ought to bring us to him. So ask yourself, how do you use your time specifically on the Lord's Day Does it bring you to Christ? Ask yourself, what is your approach to worship? Jesus says he is greater than the temple. In other words, worship leads us to him. The way that you approach worshiping God with his people, does it lead you to the feet of Jesus? Does it lead you to him? Or is it something that you can use to be legalistic, to be critical, of others, to be filled with malice and wrath in your heart towards others? See, Jesus is the fulfillment of the law. So we know that the Pharisees misuse and misunderstand the law because Jesus sits right in front of them and they reject him. All of this is pointing us to his lordship and to his centrality, to his supremacy and to his glory. It brings us to Jesus. And what do we find when we come to Jesus? You see, this passage 
we, we really ought to keep in mind the end of chapter 11 as well. What does Jesus say? Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I'm the one who is gentle and lowly. All of these things point us to Jesus, and then we come to him and we find a Savior, a God-man who is full of mercy and compassion. A heart of legalism brings us to the arrogance and the harshness of the Pharisees. Worse yet, a heart of legalism that keeps you back from coming to the Lord Jesus Christ brings you to a God who will judge without mercy. We have to come to Christ while we can, for the time is short. And when we do, when we rightly see all of these things, how they're pointing us to Jesus, right? Every story of the Bible whispers his name. The law brings us to him. It reminds us of our need for him. The Lord's Day is a resting in him, in the glory of what Christ has done as a foretaste of what is to come to us in the age to come, in eternity. And there we find a God who is merciful, So have you known, have you tasted the transforming power of the mercy of God? Because that's why God can say, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. Those who have known mercy and those who know mercy are those who show mercy. He is the God who, as Micah 7 says, he delights to show mercy. So as all of these things point us to our need for a Savior and bring us to the feet of Jesus and we find that we are greeted by the mercy and compassion and grace of God and that He is delighted to show mercy and compassion and forgiveness upon His people for those who come to Him in faith and repentance. That's a transforming power, isn't it? If you know mercy, it becomes your great desire to show mercy. And that's precisely what we find here and indeed what we find in our lives. What was the problem with the Pharisees? Well, they're using the Sabbath to try to find something specifically to criticize Jesus about. They're using the time of the Lord's Day for evil, right? Instead of doing all of the things that, that positively the Sabbath ought to bring us to, they're using it for evil, plotting a way to destroy Jesus as we read in the second part of the passage, looking for some way thinking that they're adhering to a code of rules. Seeing hungry followers of Christ and not showing mercy. If we've been changed by the mercy of God, then those words of God ought to be music to our ears. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. See, it's a command and it is very serious and it is very all-encompassing in our lives. We are to seek to show mercy, which is a huge calling God says to you, show mercy. That's an, that's an unbelievable responsibility. But for those who know the mercy of God, it is a great joy. Say, I know his mercy. And though I will fall, though I will fall short, though I will fail, I desire to show his mercy. And so that uh, leaves us then with the, the end here, living freely for others, living freely for others. Jesus applies these things in the last part of this passage in this healing that again takes place on the Sabbath. And it shows us that Jesus is our 
our true Sabbath rest. That's how we need to approach this day. This is Christ's day. And we rest in Christ on this day and, and every day, but especially we pause to renew ourselves in our knowledge and our treasuring of the gospel. See, Jesus has flipped the calendar, and that's what allows us to live in freedom. He's flipped the calendar for us so that the, 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 the rhythm of work and then rest is flipped on its head for the Christian. Living on this side of the resurrection of Christ, we rest first, on the first day of the week, the first thing that we do each and every week is we rest in Christ and we live out of the freedom that he gives to us, the comfort and the grace that he gives to us through the gospel. Each and every Lord's Day is to be a reminder to all of us that everything that God requires for salvation has been done by your prophet, priest, and king. And he sits in heaven now. And if you trust in him, then your place is sure and certain. And thus we live freely. We live in freedom. Jesus heals this woman, uh, heals this man with a withered hand on the Sabbath. And a similar thing played out in Luke 13. There was a, a woman who was bent over and had been bent over for 18 years, and Jesus heals her. Now, the regulations, uh, healing was also regulated by the tradition in that time as well, such that you could heal, as was said, you could heal if it would prevent death or if it would, if it would relieve someone from extreme and immediate pain, but nothing else. There are those two exceptions for healing. So Jesus finds this woman in Luke who's been bent over for 18 years. He has mercy and compassion on her, and he heals her. The ruler of the synagogue says, well, there's six other days of the week. Heal her on one of the other days. Jesus says to her, to, to him, you hypocrites, does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox donkey from the manger, lead it away to water it? And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day? Very similar to what goes on in our passage, isn't it? The man with the withered hand that Jesus heals. Stretch out your hand. He has mercy and compassion. He says it is good to do good on the Sabbath. And Jesus uh, shows us the pattern. So if you know mercy, what is this day for? This day is to show mercy. This is a day that God has given you to rest from your ordinary labors, to rest in Christ, and to show mercy to others. Sometimes I believe as those who treasure this doctrine of the Sabbath, we get a little bit too caught up in inactivity. A little bit too, we're just going to kind of stop doing everything. But really it's a day that ought to be filled with finding ways to serve one another, to do good, to spread the warmth and the glory and the love of Jesus Christ. The counterexample, of course, is the Pharisees, not extending mercy and then using their energy to plot a way to have Jesus killed. So may we heed this warning and always be aware of what our flesh can do if we are attached to a, a legalistic spirit to become overly critical and wrathful towards others. May we see what can happen if we misuse and understand all of Scripture and the law in that, in not seeing that it's meant to bring us to the feet of Jesus. 
may we truly understand what, what living faith is, what true religion is lived before God, that it begins with the wisdom of coming to Christ, that first exercise in wisdom. And in submitting to Him, and only with His wisdom, will we navigate all of life's complexities. And may we finally use the opportunities that the Lord gives to us to do good unto others as we rest in His finished work, to seek to show mercy all days, but on this day, what is the good that we can do to others, especially of God's people, and do so resting in Christ, the one who gives us rest, because he is our true and final Sabbath rest. Let's pray.